sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. Now it's time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. I'm joined by Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. We're going to look at the world of investment from a UK perspective. Um, reading in the papers, the rest of the world seems to be laughing at the UK at the moment, but we're not the only people having having <laughs> I trouble. shouldn't be laughing, should I, really? <laughs> no, uh, we're not the only people having trouble with oil and gas, though, are we? No, well, no. I mean, the, the poor old Germans have got themselves in a the right old tangle because you may remember under now ex Chancellor Angela Merkel, mm, mm. they decided to, um, now, for reasons I understand, by the way, uh, and many people, reasons with which many people will sympathise, but they, they decided to phase out nuclear power and coal on mm. a very quick sort of 10, 15 year basis. And that's, that was half of their energy at the time. Um, and so, yes, they've been busily building solar panels and, 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 and wind farms and, and so on to replace them. Mm. But naturally, that takes time. They haven't been able to do it quickly enough. And I know we're all very worried about UK heating costs. I can assure you the Germans are in exactly the same mm. boat, if not worse, there one says. And it's not a UK specific problem by any means. But I think what it, it does raise the question, you know, it, I guess if you're looking at it from a geopolitical point of view, I would think that food, depend, making yourself dependent on somebody else for food and making yourself dependent upon somebody else for oil and energy are two things that you'd probably be quite keen to avoid particularly if you're making yourself dependent on energy on a bloke called Vladimir, because yes. I think at the moment that's really quite a dangerous position to put yourself in. The Germans have done it. I suspect we're not quite as, as, as close to the bacon slicer as they are, but nevertheless, it's something that we, we need to be aware of. So if, if, if somebody did wish to cause mischief, and his name is Vladimir, he's now got an absolutely perfect opportunity to do so, should, should the mood take him. And I think from a geopolitical point of view, that is a potential wild card that perhaps we need to be aware of. You can't invest. I personally find investing on the basis of geopolitical risk nine impossible because they're always there and you just never know when they're going to... And, and yeah. the Don't you, do you get the feeling, though, that, yeah, that, that there, were the, there were days when, you know, the chance of a black swan was relatively rare. We just seem to be seeing more and more of them. We do. I mean, I guess the, the geopolitical one that has probably got most people on the edge of their seat, apart from Vladimir sending the gas pipelines off, would be China and Taiwan, given that China is now, what, 12% of global semiconductor production, which is exactly the same as the US in physical capacity terms. So if the Chinese ever did think that Taiwan was worth having, and I'm sure they do for a number of political reasons, and economically that's a good reason to do it, um, and, and clearly that's something that would raise the geopolitical temperature up to 11 as, as Derek Smalls always wanted yes, his, his, yes. his amplifiers wanted in, in, in this his yes. final time. Yeah. So that would that would wind things up. And I think would be, you know, clearly perceived to be a terrifying development from a financial market and a much, much broader perspective, I would think, because of the potential ramifications and not that there's much the West could do about it, probably. Um, so I think that those things are always there. I, I, I guess you've just you've just got to try and again avoid overpaying for things in sectors that you may like if you think they're potentially going to be affected, but oil and gas is probably, you know, silicon chips is, you know, that was the first shortage that we were hearing about mm. at the start of the year, hitting automotive production, and that's still rippling through. But we've now moved on to oil and gas, carbon dioxide, turkeys for Christmas, and goodness knows what else. Um, and I guess that's symptomatic of this debate that we've been having for a long time, which is, you know, mm. I- I- inflation. And I noticed those Fed, those speeches at the EC and European Central Bank Symposium yesterday, 
Mr. Bailey, the Bank of England, Madame Lagarde of the European Central Bank, um, Kuroda-san of the Bank of Japan, and, and Mr. Powell of the Fed, all kind of basically sang from the same song sheet, saying this inflation thing could go on for a bit longer than we thought, you know. So mm. I guess it's how you define transitory, right? One person's short term is another person's long term, I suppose. Well, let's just pause for breath for a moment, and then I will ask you about that. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. So we've been talking for many weeks, Russ, about whether inflation is transitory or not. Now, the Bank of England is talking a little bit about stagflation. Maybe inflation is going to go on a little bit longer than they said. I mean, it's almost as if they're catching up with the rest of us. Well, that wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world, would it? And in terms of financial, in terms of the financial markets, because the financial markets appear to be forward-looking. Having yes. said that. Central banks, in theory, are supposed to be proactive, not reactive. The old theory is, is they take the punch ball away before everybody gets too drunk. And they clearly aren't doing that this time because Mr. Powell is still finding excuses not to raise rates in the US. And he says, we have the tools to nip inflation for but if you wish to. Yes, he does. He could jack up interest rates and he could switch off QA instantly. Yes. But clearly there isn't the will there or he feels that the alternative is potentially just as unpleasant. Mm. Um so we, we're waiting. Yeah, the, the stagflation has begun to creep into the conversation because, you know, growth forecasts have begun to ease a little bit. And, and it, if you think about it, in crude terms, higher oil and gas and fuel and heating prices are, are a tax on consumers. They, mm. they limit their disposable income and their spending power and they crimp margins at corporations as well. So, you know, it's again, there's a there's a delicate balancing act there where you could argue that higher oil and gas prices probably aren't a disaster for the UK stock market because BP and Shell are a huge part of them and they, they, they're they very, very big dividend payers. Um, the best performing equity geographic region of the last 12 months is Eastern Europe. Mm. Oil, I guess, Russia pr- primarily being a, 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 a big factor behind that. So you, you can see which countries it would potentially benefit as well. But it's it overall, it's it, it's not a pure net positive and it, and it does bring some challenges. But I, I think here again, you've, you're into the law of, uh, unintended consequences in that the government, for reasons that it, it thinks are very worthy and understandable, cleaner, greener planet, banks, pension fund managers, the population are all you know, leaning on oil and gas companies not to drill, not to explore, not to produce. That's absolutely fine. But the problem is, is that demand is still going up. And if you're restricting supply at the same time, then oil and gas prices are only going to go one way and that's up. So mm-hmm. under normal circumstances, the best cure for low prices is low prices, and that's what we saw last year. You know, production was cut back, demand began to recover, oil prices have recovered. Mm. The normal circumstances, the best cure for high prices is high prices. People stop using the stuff or they find alternatives. Now, stopping you stopping heating your house in winter is a, a bit of a different is not a pleasant concept. And at the moment, I think for a lot of people using public transport rather than your car is not top of people's list of priorities either. So perverse, after the 18 months that we've just had, so perversely dampening energy demand might be a bit trickier than normal uh, at a time when you're just not, I mean, in theory, OPEC have got some extra capacity lying around that might be able to keep the market in equilibrium. But there is the possibility that as an unintended consequence of well-intended policies, greener ESG, Mm you have created a squeeze in oil and gas, which is going to make things very difficult for people. So I, I know that the hedge fund manager, Bruce Kovner, said that he spent most of his career making money from the unintended consequences of government decisions. And if you, you know, if you see interventions 
in the oil and gas market, you've seen one wishing or unwittingly the help to buy schemes and make housing more affordable. Yep. Well, it hasn't because prices have just absolutely gone through the roof and you're stuck with that one. So I, I guess in some ways, as, as an investor, you are probably seeing governments become more interventionist either because they maybe because they probably just feel they need to be seen to be doing something uh, and there are potential consequences and if anything the richer pickings from a narrow-minded potentially very selfish very greedy investment point of view uh, might be doing the opposite to what the government intends so what should investors do you say you can't really invest looking at the geopolitical picture because no, it's I, always I so it's so uncertain but possible. we've talked before about you know how investors might position themselves if they believe inflation is coming back. We didn't perhaps discuss quite as much stag stagflation or what's happened in the oil and gas market. So, so what's what's your latest advice? We have very limited. I mean, we have very limited evidence of what happens under stagflation. It's basically the 1970s UK to a degree, the USA, and the history books say the only things that did really well then were gold, which I know is a separate debate all on its own, um, and. Those equities that had some degree of pricing power, so essentially consumer staples, anything that you pop down the sink or pop down your throat. And the other thing that did well in the 70s, regrettably, were, were defence stocks, um, because it was a, 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 a wild decade in many ways. And international terrorism was a big theme in the 1970s, whether it was the Red Brigade or Bader Meinhof or all of those names that we thankfully not have to think about anymore. Or, or indeed, you know, the Yom Kippur War of 73, 70, of 73 you know, yeah. tensions were still elevated in the Middle East. So uh, I wouldn't like to think we're returning to those days, but the, the very limited historical sample that we have would again suggest stagflation is very, very cruel to companies' margins, particularly if they're asset heavy. It's cruel to their returns on capital. If you have pricing power, it gives you a chance of sort of clawing something back, as it were, and preserving your margins better than the average. So mm. from an equity perspective, that's probably where you need to be. Again, it'd be you know again staples i would imagine would be a relatively safe haven but it, it, you would probably expect to see multiple compression uh, across equities which in the uk isn't such a big deal uh, because it's not particularly expensive related to its history in the us it would be an extremely big deal if you yes. got margins coming under pressure and multiple compression because at the moment we're paying peak margins for peak profits and peak margins uh, so mm. again it, it's an environment that would make you wary of getting too heavily involved in the US, which has been the best performing market for the last 10 years or so. So I think you'd, you'd have to be nervous there. You'd probably still have to lean towards the, the real stuff camp. And I think you probably would have to look at commodities because like you know, oil and gas, we don't like you know burning them. Is, there are all sorts of philosophical issues with that. But from the narrow perspective of investment, you're at a time when demand is going up and yes. supply is not. And therefore, QED on an economics basis, prices are, are potentially going to... Look some of the some of the pressure from china is diminishing though presumably is they they're having problems as well and they're closing yeah, and lots I, of factories and I, yeah and, and and you can see the iron ore and copper price have had a hammering in the last month a lot of it on the worries over evergrande and the chinese trying to rail in real estate speculation which i think again shows how hard it's going to be for the fed and the bank of england and, and the european central bank when they do start tapering this liquidity that's sloshed around everywhere and has is, is, is elevated prices and a lot of financial assets and is now creeping into the real world, once you start withdrawing that, 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 there will be consequences of that. And I think that's why markets are getting a bit windy and bond yields are going up and stock markets are sort of going sideways because if some of that cheap money isn't around anymore, then it, it, it might just make things incrementally a little bit more difficult. So I think it, we're reaching a very intriguing time. 
I know we just as we were testing out my microphone before we started talking, Jeremy Warner, one of the national papers, said that he's sold a chunk of his portfolio because he's getting nervous. And, and you can see why looking at that sort of backdrop that we're describing right now. Yes, because by and large, you'd never advise investors to get rid of a lot of stuff because it's better to ride it out. You can't. It's very hard to and, tie and also, market yeah, turns. Yeah, and you incur lots of expenses. You can incur commissions. You can incur tax. I mean, there are all sorts of things involved, yes. and, and it can be you know, for all the fact that platforms are very efficient. It, it can still be a bit of a tedious process. But equally, I'm always in favour of having some cash around, even if it's painful, mm. because you can't buy on the dips otherwise, can you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> fascinating. Um, Russ, thank you very much indeed. I've been in conversation with Russ Moan, Investment Director of AJ Bell. Russ will be back again at the same time next week to look at the world of investment from a UK perspective in the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.